So please turn to Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. We're going to go there here in just a moment. I do want to mention one other thing on the spot that doesn't relate to uh, necessarily to the sermon. Uh, but I'll mention it as you turn, so please keep turning to Galatians 5. Uh, there's a new Christian movie out. Oh, I want to mention two other things. Children are dismissed to a junior church, so you can run away, get out of here. <laughs> That's what Mercedes is doing. She doesn't want her dad preach. So um, go to Galatians chapter 5, and children dismissed, like I said. And as you turn to Galatians, let me share a few things to introduce it. Um, there's a Christian movie out called Unplanned right now, called Unplanned. And I just wanted to share about it. Hopefully Christians can support it. It is, is uh, I believe, written, but also made uh, by the youngest director of Planned Parenthood ever. And she was a director of Planned Parenthood, got involved with Planned Parenthood when she was in college, and then came out of college and was, uh, just rose to the top with Planned Parenthood. And then eventually she was asked to take part in an abortion, and that was just too much for her. And so she left. She quit that day, quit that day. Uh, next day, Planned Parenthood put a gag order against her, which is interesting because she was planning on just leaving quite quietly. Now, I just want to share this because Christians have always been known for valuing life. From the very beginning, from the first century, there's a first century work called the Didache. The Didache, which means teaching. It's a, it's a Christian work, like, like a Christian epistle. And it says, thou shalt not commit abortion. It, it may not say it that way, but it says quite matter-of-factly, Christians are not to commit abortion. Christians in the very early church, the first few centuries, in the first few centuries of the church, uh, a man, a head of house during a Greco-Roman society could just reject a baby, could just reject a baby. And there's a quote from a Greco-Roman man. He was away on business, and he told his wife, he said, if it's a boy, keep, keep him. If it's a girl, throw him away. And Christians were known to for, for going in and rescuing these babies that were just abandoned. Christians have always been known for saving lives and rescuing lives and valuing the sanctity of life. So I just want to encourage us all to support this movie, Unplanned. And, and I, you know, this isn't a political issue. This is a Christian issue. This was a Christian issue, the sanctity of life, long before, for some reason, it became a political issue. And so I encourage you to support it. And also, I also want to uh, share forgiveness. If anyone's here who has been impacted by abortion, maybe you yourself have had abor an abortion, there's always forgiveness. Christ always forgives. And so I always want to share that too. Uh, Christians, uh, Christianity is about grace and forgiveness. And that's what we've been talking about is grace. We've been talking about Galatians, and Galatians is all about God's amazing grace. We are saved by grace. We are saved freely. And so in order to introduce today's passage, I have a short video clip about grace, which I want to encourage uh, Ken and Nancy to turn on. Go ahead.
So grace, and we see that repeated theme here in Galatians, which is about grace. We are saved by grace. And as we're saved by grace, I talked about last week giving grace to others, giving grace to others. That father just did that in that little video clip. He gave his father's grace and played with them as he hosed them off. You know, recently I watched a documentary about Billy Graham. Billy Graham, the Reverend Dr. Billy Graham. I'm fascinated by the way God used Billy Graham. When I lived in Cincinnati, I used to watch his, him, him preach on Saturday nights. The TBN station there would show the reruns of his sermons. I love to watch him back in the, the old ones from the 50s. Long before that, in 2002, I actually went and saw Billy Graham uh, in Cincinnati at the Cincinnati Bengals Stadium. Bad stadium, bad football team, but a good preacher there. And... Um, Anyways, I, I always fascinated by how much Billy Graham affected society and how, you know, the mass evangelism that God used him for. But one other reason uh, I heavily respect Billy Graham is his boldness and his courage. You know, he is preaching in the South during race riots and things like that. And Billy Graham would not preach to a segregated audience, a segregated group. He would not preach with segregation. In fact, there's a story told where one day he went and he's, he's preaching in this obviously big stadium in the South. And he sees ropes set up to segregate the group, ropes set up to divide the group. And he looked at that and he asked the head usher, what are those ropes for? And the head usher said, they are there to separate the whites from the blacks. And Billy Graham said, take them down, take the ropes down. To which the head usher said, no. And Billy Graham said again, take them down. And the head usher said, no, I'll quit. So Billy Graham went down himself and took down those ropes. And from that day forward, he would never preach. If, when, he, when he talked to a city about coming to their city for a crusade, he would not come if it was segregated. And that took a lot of boldness on his part and a lot of courage on his part during that time. After that, Billy Graham spoke out against racism and segregation. Billy Graham was a true servant of the Lord. He united with Martin Luther King Jr. And he also included blacks in his crusades. But listen to this. We do not do good things like that, like that to others if we do not start with good thoughts about others. We do not do good things like that to others if we do not start with our thinking. We need to sanctify our thinking. That makes me think about preaching a separate sermon. But we do. We need to change our thinking to think on thoughts of grace and love and kindness about others. In the passage today, Paul calls us to love others. We are, we, are, we are freely saved. We are saved by grace. We are saved for freedom. And so he calls us to love others. Use that freedom for love. Not for sin, but for love. So today, my theme is the law of love. The law of love. And we can see that right here in Galatians chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. It's a very short passage. So I hope you're there in your Bibles. I hope you've turned there and just... Park there because we're going to walk right through the scripture and it's the Bible passage that matters most. Not my words. Galatians 5, 13 through 15. Paul writes by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He says, for you were called to freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. But through love, serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. I'm going to read these four verses just one more time. 
He says, you were called to freedom, brethren. That word brethren could also be translated sisters. Brothers and sisters, you were called to freedom. Hope that sounds familiar because he said it a number of times in Galatians. He says, only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh. The flesh means the world, sin. Don't use your freedom for sinful things, but through love serve one another. For the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But in contrast to love, verse 15, if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. Consumed by one another. Paul says you are called to freedom. You are called to freedom. Notice how Paul begins this section. We are called to freedom. Paul had said that in verse 1 of this same chapter. He had said that in verse 1. You are called to freedom. In context, Paul had just wrapped up a section encouraging them not to go backwards. For those of you here last week, those of you following along through Galatians, Paul had told them that they were doing so well in their Christian walk. They were doing so well in their Christian faith. They were running well. They were running well. They were walking well. But now they're going backwards. Paul had encouraged them. They were doing so well. But now they, they backed up. The Christian walk should be going forward. Going forward. Paul had talked about how they were doing so well. But they backed up. They reversed course. And now he picks up from that. So there's a, a strong change in the rest of this letter. The rest of Galatians is totally different than the first part. The first part, up until this part of Galatians, up until this point, it had been very doctrinal, very theological. Paul had been hammering in the truth about salvation by grace alone. Salvation by grace alone. And now he switches to ethics. Now he switches to Christian living. After these, after these few verses, he's going to begin a section on walking by the Holy Spirit. How can we live the Christian life? We can't. But Jesus inside us can. He's going to switch to walking by the Holy Spirit. Paul exhorts them of this idea of freedom. But he uses the pronoun translated as brothers and sisters. You were called to freedom, brothers and sisters. We are called to freedom, but oftentimes, we don't really get that. A story is told of a town where all the residents are ducks. Every Sunday, the ducks waddle out of their houses and waddle down Main Street to their church. Just imagine it. Just imagine all these ducks waddling down Main Street into church. They're waddling. They're just waddling. They're not floating on the pond. They're not flying. They're just waddling down Main Street into their church. They waddle into the sanctuary and they squat down in their pews. Just imagine all these ducks waddling into sanctuary, squatting down in their pews. The duck choir waddles in and takes his place. And then the duck minister comes forward and opens the duck Bible. And he reads to them. He says, ducks, God has given you wings. With wings you can fly. With wings you can mount up and soar like eagles. No walls can confine you. No fences can hold you. You have wings. God has given you wings and you can fly like birds. All the ducks shout amen. And then they all waddle home. <laughs> they don't fly home, they waddle home. We are called as Christians to 
in our freedom and being saved by grace through faith, we are called to serve out of that freedom and love our neighbors or self in that freedom. We are called to leave our churches to be free and serve. We are called to be the best people, the most loving teachers, the most loving citizens, the most loving lawyers, the most loving coaches, the most loving managers, the most loving waiters and waitresses, the most loving servants. That's what we're called to in Christ out of our freedom. So Paul encourages them, don't use your freedom for sin, but instead serve. Instead of using your freedom for the world, serve. Paul exhorts them not to use their freedom for the flesh. For the flesh. Using your freedom for the flesh would be doing worldly and negative things with their freedom in Christ. I read a story, true story. Whereas the conventional wisdom calls for killing your neighbors with kindness, resident Brian Stewart took the idea to his literal extreme. According to the Pensacola News Journal, Stewart was approached by neighbors about unpleasant yelling and other noises emanating from his home. Stewart responded by exiting the house with his hand in a strike position, wielding a machete with the word kindness scrawled across it. A machete with the word kindness written across it. One of the neighbors stepped in to block the uncommon blow and in the ensuing fracas suffered a cut on his left hand. Police eventually responded and arrested Stewart, who was booked on charges of aggravated assault, aggravated battery, and assault with a deadly weapon without the intent to kill. He had kindness written on a machete. We are to, instead of using our freedom for sin, we're to use it to serve, to truly love people with kindness. The people of Galatia could face two temptations. The people of Galatia could face two temptations. One would be legalism, legalism. The other would be libertarianism, libertarianism. Paul had talked negatively about the law. Paul, up until this point, had been talking negatively about the law. And Paul's point was that you cannot be saved by the law. He's not saying the law is all bad. He's just saying the law will not save you. The law will not make you righteous because no one can keep the law. Paul certainly did not want them to see, their, to, to, to see them use, their use of freedom for sin. Them use their freedom for sin. One writes this. This was an extreme form of antinomian teaching. Antinomian means anti-law. Anti-law. This was an extreme form of antinomian teaching that held that freedom from the law meant release from all moral restraints. But Paul wrote about and rejected this kind of perverted theology. Paul wrote against this perverted theology in Romans 6, 1 through 2. Paul wrote, what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? And he says, by no means, by no means. Now we do good things and we serve Jesus in our freedom. We're still, we still ought to have that goal to try our best to keep the moral law of God, which is right and true. But we do it by the Holy Spirit inside us, recognizing that we're not saved that way. That's not how we inherit eternal life. So Paul gave them a good use of their freedom. Instead of using your freedom for sin, use your freedom through love to serve one another. Instead of sinful ways, love other people. Now this is cross-referenced in the rest of the New Testament. 
1 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9 says, But be careful that this liberty of yours, in other words, this freedom of yours, does not become a hindrance to the weak. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 16. Live as free people, not using your freedom as a pretext for evil, but as God's slaves. Use your freedom for good things. Matthew chapter 7, verse 12. In everything, treat others as you would want them to treat you. For this fulfills the law and the prophets. I love the next one. I love them all. But Romans chapter 13, verse 8. Romans 13, 8. Owe no one anything except to love one another. For the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. Isn't that powerful? If you're going to owe something to someone else, let it be to love one another. Owe no one, any, owe no one anything except to love one another. In John chapter 13, verse 34, Jesus says, I give you a new commandment to love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Paul says the law is summed up in one word, love. The law is summed up in one word, love. And he goes on to say to love your neighbor as yourself. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. It's from Leviticus 19.18 in the Old Testament. Paul's ethical argument throughout this entire passage is based on the premise that the moral law of God, <clears throat> far from being abrogated by the coming of Christ, remains a divinely sanctioned standard for Christian conduct and growth in grace. You hear that? The moral law of God is not abrogated by our growth in Christ and by the coming of Christ, but it remains a divinely sanctioned standard for the Christian conduct and growth in grace. Paul did not mention the first of the greatest commandment, which is to love God. He just jumped right to loving your neighbor as yourself. And I like what one scholar writes about this. Why did Paul call the selfless love of neighbor the fulfilling of the whole law? Not because it is superior to the worship of God, but rather, it is a proof of it. If we worship and adore God, it ought to follow and be proved by our love as of our neighbor. That is the proof. Loving our neighbor is proof of our love for God. I like what Martin Lloyd-Jones wrote. Martin, Martin Lloyd-Jones was a preacher in the mid-20th century and writer, and he wrote, We see them now, meaning our neighbors. No longer as hateful people who are trying to rob us of our rights or trying to beat us in the race for money or possession or fame. We see them as we see ourselves, as the victims of sin and of Satan, as the dupes of the God of this world, as fellow creatures who are under the wrath of God and hell-bound. We have an entirely new view of them. We see them to be exactly as we are ourselves, and we are both in a terrible predicament. And we can do nothing, but both of us together must run to Christ. Run to Christ and avail ourselves of his wonderful grace. We begin to enjoy it together. And we want to share it together. That is how it works. It is the only way whereby we can ever do unto others as we would that they should do unto us. It is when we are really loving our neighbor as ourselves. Because we have been delivered from the thraldom of self, that we begin to enjoy the glorious liberty of the children of God. Now, I like that last part, so I'm going to reread it. It is when we are really loving our neighbor as ourselves, because we have been delivered from the thraldom of self, that we begin to enjoy 
the glorious liberty of the children of God. So Paul calls them to love their neighbor as themselves, to serve one another. And in this last part, in verse 15, in verse 15 he says, But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. So if in contrast to loving one another, you bite and devour one another, you will destroy each other. In my words, if you fight, if you fight, you will destroy each other. Paul is saying, but in contrast to love, if you fight, you destroy each other. This verse is a window, a window into the churches of Galatia. It shows that they must have been doing that. They were backstabbing and they were biting and harming each other. So Paul is saying, Paul is saying essentially, if instead of loving one another and serving one another, they are harming each other, they will consume each other. Don't keep doing that. Instead, serve one another. Instead, love one another. I think of this like the threat of nuclear war. We end up destroying each other. I mean, if somebody pulls that trigger and a nuclear war breaks out and one country bombs another, another bombs another, another bombs another, it ends up destroying all. No one wins. No one wins. And that's what it seems to me, that's the image that came to mind to me as I read this passage and was studying it. If you bite and devour one another, you're just going to destroy each other. You're just going to consume each other. After this verse, Paul is going to jump into the section of walking by the Spirit. How can we live this way? How can we live by God's grace serving one another? How can we love one another? By God's Spirit inside of us. And in three weeks, no, four weeks, we will begin that. Next week, we'll jump to Palm Sunday and talk about that. And then we'll celebrate Jesus' resurrection with Resurrection Sunday as well. But let's apply this passage. To truly apply this passage, we must live out Philippians 2, 3 through 4. Philippians 2, 3 through 4 is a good, a good uh, cross-reference. It says, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Notice how in the Philippians 2 passage, it starts in the mind. With humility of mind, with humility of mind, consider others more important than yourselves. It starts in our thinking. We need to sanctify our thinking. We need to take, as 2 Corinthians 10, 5, Paul says, I take every thought into captivity, into obedience unto Christ. we got to take our thoughts captive. We see in this passage that we are saved freely, but we cannot use that freedom for bad. We must use it for good. Paul says, if we are harming other people in our freedom... And we must understand it is a circular effect of negativity. Somebody has to stop it. Somebody has to step in and serve in love. And as we apply this passage, maybe that somebody is you in some type of relationship you're in or something you're going through. Maybe the Holy Spirit is convicting you today that you need to stop it. Don't go against one another. Step in. And say, I'm going to love you no matter what. I'm going to serve you no matter what. I'm going to care about you no matter what. We must do good to those who are mean. You know that the Bible teaches that. The Bible teaches we do good to those who harm us. Instead of fighting back, we turn the other cheek and we love. This is one way where the Christian way is not always the American way. 
And our relationship is a relationship of humility. We love and serve one another. It doesn't mean necessarily don't defend yourself, but it means that for as much as possible, we love and serve one another. We have received the grace of Christ. We give grace to others. This means that we must think loving thoughts about others. We must think of others as more important than us. We must not meditate on bad things about people. Get those thoughts out of our mind. We must think of ways to win people with love. We must pray for others. We must love our enemies. That's what Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 44 says. Love your enemies. And you know what? This helps the Christian witness. This helps the Christian. It helps you. It helps me. This helps the world, and this worships God. It helps the Christian witness when we love our enemies, when we love people. It helps the world... It helps you and me, the Christian. And you know what? It worships God. It glorifies God. So can we be like Billy Graham? Can we do that? Can we love when others hate? Can we love when others dehumanize? Which they certainly did. Can we assume the best? This starts with our thinking. Can we live this passage? Can we serve one another? I have news for you. None of us can, but Jesus inside us can. If we're living on our own strength, forget it. It's not going to happen. Maybe a little bit, but not totally. But Jesus inside of us can. And that's the next section. And I encourage you to go home and read the rest of this chapter. And challenge yourself. Pray the passage that you can walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Holy Spirit. It's the only way we can live the way God calls us to live. Is by surrendering to the Holy Spirit within us. Walk by the Spirit. Let's pray right now. Lord Jesus, we need your help. We cannot live this way on our own. We can only live this way by you, Jesus, inside of us through the Holy Spirit. I ask, Lord God, that you help us to do this. Help us to live by the Holy Spirit. Help us to consider others more important than ourselves. Help us to look out for others' needs before our own. Help us to serve one another in love. Help us to give other people grace. We've received grace. Help us to give others grace. Lord God, help us to take control of our thinking. As Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10.5, inspired by the Holy Spirit, help us to take every thought captive unto obedience unto Christ. Help us to think on things that are true and good and right and pure and holy. Help us to seek first your kingdom. Help us to surrender by the, to the Holy Spirit. Help us to walk by the Holy Spirit. And Lord God, the first step of walking by the Spirit is knowing you as Lord and Savior. And Lord, if there's anyone here who does not know you, may today be the day of salvation. May today be the day to confess they are a sinner in need of a Savior. To believe in you, Jesus, is the only Savior. To trust in you and to commit to you. For you said, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. What an awesome promise. May we all trust in you, follow you, and live by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Please stand for the closing song if you're able to stand, which is hymn number 544, We Are One in the Bond of Love.